great to be with you today and um, looking forward to sharing from God's Word with you. I'm going to um, just ask you, uh, do something just a little bit different. I'm going to lead you in an exercise at the end of this message. So if you could actually go and grab a pebble or something similar uh, and a bowl or a cup with water in, that would be great. It will make sense soon. Uh, why don't I pray? Let's pray together. Father God, we uh, thank you for your word and we thank you for the power that it has to transform our lives. Um, give us soft hearts, we pray. Make us hearers uh, that we may put into practice all that you have for us today. Speak a personal word to each one. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me read to you from uh, Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 14 as we commence. Uh, verse 6 of chapter 3. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, afraid to look at God. God said, I've taken a good long look at the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries for deliverance from their slave masters. I know all about their pain. And now I've come down to help them, to pry them loose from the grip of Egypt, to get them out of the country and bring them to a good land with wide open spaces, a land lush with milk and honey, the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite. The Israelite cry for help has come to me. And I've seen for myself how cruelly they're being treated by the Egyptians. It's time for you to go back. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses answered God, but why me? What makes you think that I could ever go uh, and um, to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? I will be with you, God said, and this will be the proof that I am the one who sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You'll worship God right here at this very mountain. And then chapter 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw them, Egyptians coming at them. They were totally afraid. They cried out in terror to God. They told Moses, were the cemeteries large enough in Egypt so that you had to take us out here in the wilderness to die? What have you done to us taking us out of Egypt, back in Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen? Didn't we tell you, leave us alone here in Egypt? We're better off as slaves in Egypt than corpses in the wilderness. Moses spoke to the people, don't be afraid, stand firm and watch God do this work of salvation for you today. Take a good look at the Egyptians today, for you're never going to see them again. God will fight the battle for you. And you, you keep your mouth shut. And verse 29, But the Israelites walked right through the middle of the sea on dry ground. The waters forming a wall to the left and right. Uh, God delivered Israel that day from the oppression of the Egyptians. And Israel looked at the Egyptian dead, washed up on the shore of the sea, and realised the tremendous power that God brought against the Egyptians. The people were in reverent awe before God and trusted in God and his servant Moses. 
Well, friends, life is all about transitions, leaving home, getting married, having children, becoming grandparents, moving house, changing jobs and more. And it's not just the change, the external change, but the inner process around that change. We move house and we realise how much we miss our old neighbours. Can I ever get used to this new suburb? Can I get to know my new neighbours, we ask ourselves. And we find that the inner journey of transition is not so straightforward as the external change of moving house. There are struggles as well as new opportunities. And there are struggles because we have lost. As a church, we've lost good friends, spiritual guides. We've lost what is familiar. We've lost joy. It's different for each one of us, but it hurts. I know it hurts because I've talked with many of you and as a pastor, I'm concerned for you. When endings take, take place, people get angry, worried, sad, frightened, disoriented, depressed and confused. They're the signs of grieving the normal sequence of emotions that people go through when they lose something that matters to them. And with the, together with the transition team, I'm working hard on tasks to help us find clear direction and move forward and, and lay a strong foundation for the future. I'm also listening to you, what you're feeling, what your concerns are. The journey of the people of Israel out of Egypt recorded in the book of Exodus mirrors that very struggle, that loss. And it's also got some important lessons for us as a church at this time. And it reminds us that much of what we're experiencing, the emotions, the behaviours, is part of the disequilibrium of transition. And that's why it's just so important to give extra grace and care to one another at this time. Well, transition is very different from change. Transition is a three-phase inner reorientation process that people go through when they're coming to terms with change. It begins with an ending, with people letting go of their old reality, their old identity. Because unless people can make a real ending, they'll be unable to make a successful beginning. After the ending, people go into the second phase of transition, the neutral zone, a, a no man's land where people are, in the words of Matthew Arnold's poem, wandering between two worlds, one dead, the other yet to be born. The neutral zone is a, a time and a state of being in which um, old behaviours and attitudes die out. And people go a little bit dormant for a while as they prepare to, to move out into a new direction. Only after going through each of these first two phases of transition can people deal successfully with the third phase, beginning over again with new energy, a new sense of purpose, a new outlook, a new image of themselves. And that's where many leaders get shipwrecked in this journey. They get people to make a new beginning without seeing to it that they go through the other two phases of transition first. You know, management books tell us much more about change than transition. And we've heard stories of leaders that have played a vital role in planning and executing 
organizational or church change, but there are fewer tales of leaders who've successfully managed transition. But there's one classic that provides an excellent account of a successful transition project, and it's the Old Testament book of Exodus, and the leader is Moses. Moses' organisation was the people of Israel. Um, before his time in, in the days of Joseph, they lived in Egypt contentedly and, and held considerable power. But in Moses' day, they were enslaved. And, and that's often the case in an organisation that's approaching a change, that in some ways it's enslaved to an outlived way of doing things, thinking about things or, or evaluating things. Well, Moses did what a transition leader always has to do. He looked for ways to let the system, let my people go. And he discovered it's difficult to break a system's hold on people. What he discovered was that that actually tightens. When Moses made his first effort, the Pharaoh uh, replied that not only would he not let the people go, but that in fact they're going to have to do uh, what they were now doing with even fewer resources, that they wouldn't be provided straw for their brickmaking in uh, Exodus 5, but instead the Israelites would have to gather their own straw. I hope. How many of you have been through a, a work restructure where you're told to do more with less? So, of course, the Israelite leaders were absolutely thrilled with Moses' leadership and said, now we've got Pharaoh right where we want him. Uh, verse 20 from Exodus 5, when they met Moses and Aaron waiting for them outside the palace, as they came out from the meeting with the Pharaoh, they swore at them, may God judge you for making a stink before Pharaoh and his people, they said, and for giving them an excuse to kill us. Well, do you think Moses said, God, you know exactly what you're doing, and I'm, I'm so thankful for the sacred task of leading your people? Verse 22, Moses went back to the Lord. Lord, he protested, how can you mistreat your own people like this? Why did you ever send me if you were going to do this to them? Ever since I gave Pharaoh your message, he's only been more and more brutal to them. And, and you haven't delivered them at all. Well, as usually happens during the first phase of transition, the, the phase of ending, plagues of problems began to develop. And in Moses' world, the plagues were rather graphic, blood in the water and swarms of frogs and gnats and livestock diseases and hailstorms and locust invasions. Today's plagues might be different, but they're just as disruptive. Uh, defection of um, talented people and the development of unrest. But the message conveyed by the plagues is the same. The old ways aren't working anymore. As the troubles mounted, Pharaoh grudgingly recognised he had to get the Israelites out of Egypt. But Moses did more than just let the plagues increase the discomfort level. He also saw to it that the increasing difficulties did not damage his people. He protected his people from the full impact of the plagues by making a symbolic mark on the doorposts of the Jews so that God's wrath would pass them by. And besides its theological meaning, this action, the origin of the Jewish Passover, illustrates an important managerial act to handle matters in such a way that the destruction of the old system does not damage 
the elements from which the new system will be built. And this meant identifying, gathering together, educating pivotal people like Joshua eventually, who'll help to realise the new vision, the promised land. And it means beginning to create among them the basis for a new identity and a new culture, giving them a new sense of mission. Otherwise, these people might just be lost in the chaos that often accompanies transition. And this is a key thing today, friends. Not everything is changing. Not everything is changing. As well as protecting people and leaders, there are many things such as our identity and mission that will not change. When Pharaoh finally let Moses' people go, some of them surely thought, the promised land is just around the corner. And Moses wasn't so naive, though, because he he saw that he still had two problems. He, first of all, had to draw a line of no return between the ending and the neutral zone. And secondly, he had to keep people in the neutral zone long enough for them to be fundamentally changed by the wilderness experience. Whatever the old system it is, it often follows people and tries to pull them back, just as Pharaoh's army did. And and that pull needs to be broken. And Moses did that by calling on God to part the waters of the Red Sea so that his people could cross over. And then just as, as Pharaoh's troops entered the seabed, he called on God to close the waters again. And the pursuers, of course, were drowned. There needs to be a clean break with the past. The past needs to be drowned, as Pharaoh's army was. The past did its job and got us to where we are today. So we value it, we honour it. But we also say it served its time and its time has passed. So friends, I want to share just five ways in which I think we can put some of these principles from God's word into practice in our lives at this time. The first application is this. We can never go back to how things were. Again, we honour the past. We appreciate the people and the structures that are a part of that. Without them, we would not be where we are today. But neither do we see the past with rose-coloured glasses and and think that a return to those days will, will carry us into the future that God has for us. The Red Sea reminds us that the old way is gone and beyond recovery. And the effect of this boundary event is, is not just to keep the past from invading the present, it's also to keep the people from turning around and, and returning to Egypt. You know, people react to the stress of the neutral zone by idealising the way things used to be. The Old Testament authors said in the wilderness, the Jews began to murmur. And today people murmur about the wilderness in churches and companies where an old way of doing things has been left behind. And in the uh, corridors of such organisations, you hear variations on a theme from Exodus. What was so bad about Egypt anyway? The food was great. Slavery wasn't so bad. Do you think Moses really knows where he's going? I'd have never have left if I knew it was going to take this long. You know, I'm aware of a church that was starting the process of searching for a senior pastor. And when asked for the personal characteristics and ministry gifts 
of that new senior pastor. Some people just simply wrote down the name of the senior pastor before the last one, as if theological colleges somehow turn out pastoral Ken dolls. We can never go back to how things were. Second, we must learn the lessons from our journey to this point. Those who don't learn the lessons of history are condemned to repeat its mistakes. You know, every year in millions of Jewish homes around the world at Passover, the youngest child in each family asks the questions. Why is this night different from all other nights? Why on this night do we only eat unleavened bread? And, and the father answers, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt and the Lord our God brought us out from there with his mighty hand and outstretched arm. Now if the Holy One praise his name and not liberated our fathers in Egypt, then we, our children and our children's children, would have remained slaves in Egypt. Even so, if we were all wise and learned, full of understanding and wisdom, it would still be our duty to, to tell the story from year to year of the deliverance of, from Egypt. Whoever searches deeply into its meaning is considered praiseworthy for redemption is not yet complete. What is its meaning? Simply this, when we were leaving the old and familiar, when we were leaving Egypt, we did not trust God and we were filled with anxiety. Exodus 14, as the Egyptian army approached, the people of Israel saw them and they were terribly frightened. They turned against Moses, whining, have you brought us out here to die in the desert because there weren't enough graves for us in Egypt? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Why? We said it would be better to be slaves to the Egyptians than dead in the wilderness. We got it wrong. We were so scared when the Egyptian army was bearing down on us, but we learned that God is faithful and can be trusted as he delivered us then and many times after that in our nation's history. We learned that Moses did know what he was doing, even though we didn't think so at the time. And every year we have to ask the question, because of how God has saved us, how will I be different into the future? What do I need to change? Not what do others around me need to change? I have a new identity. I'm no longer a slave in Egypt. I'm free through God's mighty deliverance. God is my father and he'll lead me as his child through the next phase of my journey. We must learn lessons from our journey to this point. The third thing is that I must cross a boundary into the wilderness and put my trust in God. You know, friends, I'm really not sure how Moses got the people to cross over the Red Sea. If it had been me, I don't think I would, would have been an easy choice. Walk along the seabed while the water is held back, and I've never done this before, and I'm not sure how long this massive wall of water is just going to stay there. Or to face the chariots, the war horses, and the swords of Pharaoh's army. I must cross a boundary into the wilderness and put my trust in God. There's no going back. I must exercise faith because I'm unsure what I'm going to encounter in that journey. I'll rely on God's promises of his presence and a new land to sustain me for that journey. Fourth, I must own my part. 
obviously this church has been through a difficult time, but we are where we are. And part of learning the lessons from our journey is to own our part, however small or large that may be. Whether that has been a, will you join my cause conversation, not listening to subtle cries for help, a lack of clear will or policy to process tension, or whatever else. Each, each one of us must take appropriate responsibility for what has happened. And part of that may just be recognising the complexity of it all, that it's not as simple as a book chapter I read once titled, What if the other person is a complete idiot? It's not a simple binary thing, it's quite complex. But I must own my part, whatever that is. And lastly, I must process what I'm feeling. Being in transition is uncomfortable. Our old maps no longer help us. Our emotions are heightened and people around us may be acting in weird ways. We're experiencing loss at so many levels. So we know that we can never replace the loss. Just like buying a new puppy the day after our old one dies does not work. We recognise we need space to grieve, to have conversations about what we're feeling, to let go of resentment, to as far as possible seek reconciliation. And one of the reasons that I'm here is to help you with that journey. So talk to me or someone you believe can help you with the processing of your feelings. So as I said at the outset, we're going to do something that may be a little bit different this morning. And um, we're also doing it over Zoom. But I sometimes find it helpful to engage in a physical action as part of my response to what God is saying to me. So I'm going to invite you to do two things if you wish. It's just an invitation. No one should compare, be compelled. It's just an opportunity. And the first is to prayerfully ask God, what needs to end today? What do I need to let go of so I can move into the future God has for me and, and for us together? Maybe... I need to own my part, however small. Is there anything from the past that I need to drown? Maybe it's just a chance for you to say to God, God, I've been carrying a lot of weight, a lot of tension, and I'm giving you my burdens today. Perhaps you're carrying resentment or unforgiveness, and God is just prodding you to, to let that go and write a note or call someone to put things right. Maybe you're carrying a picture in your mind of how this church should be that's preventing you from seeing God birth something new. We can never go back to how things were. Or perhaps you want to pray a short prayer of trust. God, I'm, I'm going with you into the Red Sea, into the unknown. I, I don't know what I will encounter, but you will be there and I'll put my trust in you afresh. I must cross a boundary into the wilderness and put my trust in God. Maybe you want to make a commitment to, to act and speak in new ways, God helping you, or some other lesson that you want to live out into the future to swap anxiety for faith. We must learn the lessons from our journey to this point. 
And maybe you need to have a conversation with me or someone else to process what you're feeling. Well, the second thing I'm inviting you to do is that as you make that commitment or pray that prayer, to just place a stone in the water. And you're saying, oh, I'm letting this go. I'm drowning the old and God, I'm trusting you into the future. I'll just give you an opportunity now to reflect, to pray, and uh, maybe to place a stone into the water. And then I'll pray. Our God, we thank you and we are so grateful that you are the one who leads us into the future. There are many things that we have found difficult and even things that we don't understand. And yet we thank you that you hold us both individually and as a church family together. Father, we're here this morning to do business with you whatever that is for each one of us we want to cross that boundary into the future in faith and trust and as we do that whatever we need to let go whether that's anxiety resentment, tension, unforgiveness, guilt, whatever it is, our God, we want to give that to you today and ask for your healing for each one of us individually and as a church together, that we might move into your future with trust, with faith, and that we might follow you obediently in the journey that you have for us. We ask it in Jesus' name.